Welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Panjaris, and I really appreciate you listening. I also appreciate all of the heartfelt feedback I've been getting from listeners. Please keep it coming, and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and rate the podcast so we can spread the word about this project. Today's guest, Jade Marks, is an herbalist, farmer, and artist based in Brooklyn. They run a small apothecary that centers trans and queer people, mental health, and disability called 69 Herbs. You can find them on Instagram at 69 Herbs. Jade has some really important insights about ableism and purity discourses in herbalism, thoughts on unlearning binaries in the wellness world, and they speak really eloquently about permission to heal within multiple modalities and at your own pace. I've been starting each each episode with a question you know, if you can think back to an earliest or early memory of when you, when and how you learned that you had a body, what comes to mind for you? I've been thinking about this question because I have been listening to your podcast and heard you ask other folks. I, I learned really early to be super externally focused from my body onto others so like and a lot of that was through like being put in caretaking roles from a young age and I didn't spend a lot of my early life paying attention to my body or what was going on with it and like I got a lot of validation for being really externally focused and like paying close attention to what was happening with other people's bodies and minds and behaviors And actually, it's interesting because I have chronic pain and in sort of like seeing healers who work with that, I've learned that my body is like actually externally uh, oriented. It's like really amazing to sort of like learn that, you know, like, I guess we know this already, but just to know that on an experiential level, like my feet are turned outwards and my hips are turned outwards. And like my chest is really open. Like mm. my practitioners have told me a lot of people come in with like hunched shoulder, you know, people who work desk jobs and things like that. And that my my body's so open and so externally focused. And like some of that's really wonderful. And like I feel like it is a gift in a lot of ways. Like I feel really able to receive others. I also feel like it's taken me. I'm like I feel like I've just barely scratched the surface. Like it's taken me my entire life to start. Um, being like what's up with my body and like how am I feeling in it and what does it mean to be embodied Um, and that like I didn't spend yeah I didn't spend much time doing that when I was young Mm -hmm. yeah getting that early validation for doing such a a great job in the role of caretaking I think can really take a long time to move away from even if that's your intention I don't know what your experience with that has been kind of unraveling that as a a sort of prime primal role or something like that you know this is who I am 
Yeah, I mean, I think also just on the level of embodiment, like my family um, was very into like Western medicine, biomedicine and pharmaceuticals. And so I think I also learned like if something is wrong with your body, you take a pill and you feel better or you go to the doctor and they fix it. And like Western medicine is like great and is a really awesome solution to all physical ailments. You know, like my mom's dad is a doctor and that was just like a big part of what I learned about bodies in general. And I think that like that took me a really long time to unlearn. And then I swung really hard the other way and was like, you know, kind of like all pharmaceuticals are bad, you know, like none of this is healing. We need, you know, and like sort of like it's taken me to this point in my life where I feel like I've found a lot more of a balance with that. And like, I feel really um, resistant to purity on either side. And just like seeing how both ends of that can really harm and heal. Yeah, the the purity on there really is purity on both sides of that kind of just both sides of that discourse. I mean, I think one thing you and I, you know, probably there are other things, but one thing you and I have in common is sort of working or traversing this like health and wellness world in quotes, whatever you know, and. And, and sort of navigating it both as a as kind of a practitioner. I mean, you have, we'll we'll get to this, but you know the way that you work with plants, but also as a as a person who has received healing benefits. And so maybe you could talk a little bit more about how you came to this kind of how you had to come into confrontation with this idea of the damaging impact of kind of purity discourses because I think a lot of people listening will can maybe relate to that but maybe haven't uh, I'd I'd love to hear what you have to say about that basically yeah yeah totally well I guess on the one end I should say like for context my my mom was like super over medicalized and she was the person who I did a lot of caretaking for and in a lot of ways like her life was really saved by uh like western medicine and hospitals and on the other end it was she was really deeply harmed by those institutions Mm -hmm. and um she was institutionalized in psychiatric centers like multiple times and and like on that side we really saw sort of like the horrors of western medicine and institutional medicine and like you know institutional institutions of mental health and how violent those spaces can be and the violence of over-medicalization. And there's, you know, there's also a lot of like substance use and substance abuse in my family. And, you know, we all like opioid crisis and like the ways that that is like deeply manufactured by people in power and on and on. So, you know, and also to say like those things can be really healing and they can really save lives. And like, there's so much of Western medicine that I participate in and benefit from and feel grateful for. So on that end, yeah, I feel like it's really, I feel like one of the things that I see a lot in the herbal world and in like the alternative medicine world or healer world in general is people being like so aggressively resistant to Western medicine and really judgmental towards people who engage with it, which is like deeply ableist, you know, not only because there are so many like pharmaceutical drugs. I mean, you know, it's like there's pharmaceutical drugs, there's plastic, there's like so many like assistive devices that people need access to that are like deeply entrenched in Western medicine and like are also keeping people alive and keeping people with like maybe less pain than they would have otherwise. Yeah. 
so there's so much of that that we like really need and the and like people who are involved in like disability justice work are also really at the forefront of challenging those institutions and how fucked up they are but I've experienced like so much yeah like so much dogma and stigma um around like people eating junk food or people like people who are on on antidepressants and I feel like really angry when I encounter that now and really alienated by it because I just like really need both you know like I need what I need and like my people need what they need like trans people need HRT like people need surgery people need like you know access to Humira and access to literally every it's like we need access to all of it right and like I really resonated so much with Carolyn Lazard's piece in Triple Canopy that um, you and I had spoken about mm-hmm. The World is Unknown, which like addressed all of this so beautifully. Um, but Carolyn talks about how like each of us is too expansive to be reduced to either space and that the binary between these two worlds is like really false and that we spend our days, you know, kind of going back and forth between them, which is definitely my experience. You know, I'm like hitting my herbs right now and drinking an iced coffee and like could definitely eat like McDonald's in the same day that I'm like making nettles in the morning, you know, like that's the the multitude of like, like that's like the complexity of life that I'm really here for. And that's also what I want my herbal medicine to reflect. Mm. Uh, And like, I don't want healers who are, pure like I don't want it's like the kinds of healers that I want to be working with understand this complexity and are not striving for some purity of self or expecting that for me and um I was gonna say something else okay what as you were saying that I was thinking about the purity being so that kind of discourse around purity or you know if you do this if you eat this dietary regimen of all organic all this all you know we it can go on and on and on and and there is a kind of I think again to Carolyn's piece that that can be just as violent and damaging to one's like spiritual and physical self to kind of restrict or whatever the case may be to be so kind of violent with one's own healing process in a way um But I also think that, you know, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about Western medicine as a fix. And also, you know, kind of alternate, quote unquote, alternative medicine is also, you know, sold as a fix as well, as if there's, as if there's something to be, that can be fixed. And that's part of why I wanted to talk to you is, is because you seem to have a sense of like the, the subtlety of plant medicine, like the way plants can work um, within our complex lives and body ecosystems that I really would love to hear more about, like how you, how you learned about that, how you arrived at that and how, yeah, how you understand plants in that way. That's a great question. I remembered what I was going to say. We've seen how striving for purity in the herbal world has like really fallen short from making that world somehow more radical or progressive than mainstream healing world. And like a lot of this has come to light in recent years, but 
you know, just like white supremacy in the Arab world, cultural appropriation, transphobia, et cetera. And a lot of that is not unrelated to like fundamentalism and striving for purity and this like old guard of herbalists who have been really gatekeeping. And yeah, I mean, just to say all of that, like the healing world needs a lot of healing. And I think it's really awesome to be in community where people are sort of calling that stuff out and trying to make a new space that is like really committed to shifting that culture. So mm-hmm. yeah, and also like shifting the culture over from like self-care to more collective care. Feels yes. really and wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Cause there's so much of the healing world that can be like hyper individualistic and just like puts all of this pressure on people to heal themselves, which is like both really classist and ableist and like unrealistic. But it's so yeah. powerful too. It's so it's like such a powerful message, you know. I mean, I think we just have to underline that. It's it's really relieving in some ways to talk to you and just to hear you kind of say that like convey the ways that you have access to other spaces where that isn't the primary focus, you know, where it isn't about like the onus is on you. If you've chronic pain, the onus is on you to kind of fix it or like fix your diet or fix this or take this or buy this or do that. You know, it's, I think it's an important thing to just underline, but yeah, anyway, continue as you were going to talk about, we were talking about collective, collective healing and also plants, how you came, it's all connected. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing that came to mind when you asked that is, like that I, one of the things that I have found really amazing about working with plants is their subtlety and how they can reach issues that feel so subtle and so immaterial and hard to pin down as like a physical thing, right? Like whether that's chronic pain or um, like dysphoria or depression or grief and feeling like one of the first plants that I worked with intensively was Hawthorne and this was like right this was while my mom my mom was diagnosed with cancer in 2017 and she died really shortly afterwards and I started working with Hawthorne when I when she got her diagnosis and Hawthorne is sort of like a famously known heart medicine plant and I remember feeling so like witnessed by it in a way that was just unlike it was so subtle, but so powerful, you know, like feeling like held by this plant in a space of irreconcilable grief. Mm. Um, and feeling like the plant was not trying to fix it or heal it or make it better or whatever, but just be there alongside me. And that that's, I think, a lot of folks experience with Hawthorne and with some other grief medicine, but that is like really the plant that like got me into that. You know, I was like, Oh my God, this is so unbelievable. And a lot of the medicine that I make with 69 is trying to reach something also like similarly subtle. Like I make a blend for dysphoria. I make a blend for grief and depression that has a lot of Hawthorne in it. And I make a blend for anxiety. Um, And like, these are things that I feel like for some folks, for sure, you know, pharmaceuticals, work and like other kinds of drugs work and like no shade to that and also like those can be taken in in partnership with herbs or like the herbs can be taken on their own and I've 
just like gotten a lot of feedback from people about how these plans have supported them through things like dysphoria. And I feel really, you know, like the dysphoria blend is a, is like a really interesting one because the, I sort of just like channeled from my experience of dysphoria, what to put in there. And they don't really make sense together in like a traditional herbalism way. Like, Mm. um, you know, there's like mugwort and there's ghost pipe essence. And like, those are two things that people might say make you feel dissociative. And then they were like grounding herbs like blue vervain. But for me, like when I'm feeling dysphoric I need kind of I need both like I kind of need it to be hit from both ends which is like I need to be grounded and I also need to like I need to get back into my body and I need to get a little bit out of my body you know and like that experience is so specific and so singular and like really different for everybody and that blend is not for everybody but for a lot of folks it reaches like from what I've heard that it reaches that experience they're having and so like it's really it's really cool to work with these plants in such subtle ways um and have them reach such subtle issues yeah as you're talking I'm I'm thinking about you know the way that oftentimes at least in my experience you know the world of herbalism or plant medicine is is described in with using the word subtle, you know, like the subtle kind of magic that happens with plants. And, but as you were describing that, I was thinking, you know, subtle is, is partly, it's a good description, but it also is, you know, it's so deeply kind of nuanced as you just described, you know, and as a, as a psychotherapist, a lot of times, you know, what I have people coming to me with kind of these, what we, you know, we call like pathology. I don't, but you know, what you call pathology, that's, that's akin to like grief, dysphoria. These are not things that have a, um, I'm going to use the word fix again, but they don't have like an end point, you know, they're not like, and then it's over, you know? And so I think what you're getting at is that sometimes the healing, at least as I'm understanding what you're saying, sometimes the healing comes in the form of just having all of many aspects of one's experience recognized, like with dysphoria, what you just described, like when I feel dysphoric, I need a lot of different things, you know, like I don't need just one thing. There's not one thing that's going to fix it or make it go away or whatever. It's like, it's, it's so complex. Yeah. I mean, and that is like one of the, that is like really the most wonderful thing that I've experienced about the herbal world is that like, it is the people's medicine. So many of these plants, they're powerful and like not to be messed with, but also like it's such an accessible form of healing by its very nature. And so like people can access their own medicine and there are so much room for people to be making, you know, like medicine that works for some people and doesn't work for everyone. And I love, like, I love that that's like, yeah, if this doesn't work for you, I can recommend 10 herbalists who make a different blend for anxiety that's like in alcohol or in something else that it has different plants and different, you know, like, and there's so much out there, especially now. And like, I do, you know, I mean, I do think there's like some caution to be given around like people, you know, yeah, like getting experience and playing with themselves before giving their medicine out. But I also think like when people are working with safe plants, like relatively safe 
plants, there's so much room for play and mm-hmm. uh, figuring out like what works for you and getting and getting in tune with the subtleties of your own body and how your body reacts to different plants and different essences. Like that's such a magical experience. Mm-hmm. How did you, how did you decide to move into kind of making, bottling, selling herbs? Like how did 69 herbs come about for you? Um, I, I did not mean for 69 herbs to become what it came, what it became when I first started it. I, um, I sort of like was making, I was making blends that I was myself taking. And one of the things that was happening is that like my partner and I, I weren't really consuming alcohol at the time. And I, my partner's still not. And I do like pretty minimally, but um, there wasn't a lot out there in terms of like alcohol-free blends. Mm-hmm. So I started making glycerites for us. And then there was a holiday market that I decided to table out with my herbs in um, December. And I just made labels for that. You know, I was like, oh, let me like get creative with it and make some cute designs mm-hmm. for the products and I'll bring them to the market. And then immediately I got a ton of orders and it was all on Instagram and through texting and people were like Venmoing me or bringing me cash and I was like delivering them around the city and then very quickly became too much for me to do that way and I was like oh my god I need a website throughout the website and sort of the rest is history. I also was really supported by my friend Lauren who was my herb school teacher at Wild Gather and runs a shop called Good Fight in Hudson um and she like bought me into her shop like a month after selling. So that like really was really, really supportive. And then, yeah, I'm in a couple more shops now. I mean, it's still very small, I should say, like very small batches. I've only added one product since I started. And it's been like such a huge gift to have something to offer people that people are excited about that I feel like um, from the beginning, I've been really committed to accessibility and like that can mean so many different things, but I, I really wanted every product to be alcohol free and like for sober folks and for folks who can't consume alcohol for any reason, um, just because that's not really out there that much. There's a lot of simples, but not a lot of alcohol free blends. And I really wanted the blends to all be sliding scale. So I have a really deep sliding scale and I wanted them to like focus on these issues of like queer and trans issues, mental health stuff, there's not a lot out there for dysphoria, you know, or something like that. So that's really the reason that it's done super well is like, people are like, oh, this is stuff that's not, I'm not able to get elsewhere. But I hope that it's not the lot, you know, I hope other people do start to make more medicine like that. And I feel like really grateful for the support. And also, it's been really amazing to like have something to connect with other people through and to trade with other herbalists and to trade with artists and like just to have a thing to offer folks to and to give away and be like, oh, I have this thing. Like, like when there was a call for herbal medicine for the caravan, like to be able to send a bunch of stuff down and like, it, yeah, it just feels like such a, such a gift to have like a material thing to offer. Mm, yeah. How, do, you know, you've talked a little bit about the people that, that are really finding 
they're coming to you, essentially finding you. But I'm curious, like, what do you think, what is your sense of what it is that, you know, what it is about you, Jade, that is also kind of infused into this, these products or this, you know, like, what, who are you in the world um, in a way that also, I think, maybe contributes to probably I imagine kind of the the way that people are trusting you with this this stuff I think I feel totally caught off guard by it and like I did not expect it so Mm. yeah like it's been just like sort of an outpouring of love and support from strangers and people who I love and know but um I don't feel like I, I actually don't like not I, this is not like a false humility thing, but I don't feel like I am the thing. Like I feel like a real like vehicle for the plans to get out to people. And I feel like maybe it's that piece of like commitment to accessibility or maybe it's like having a like real refusal to do this like pure like uh sort of like aesthetic, aesthetically dry herbalism thing. Like I really wanted the blends to be like fun and to look good. And um, mm-hmm. I feel like I really respond to that. Um, and I wanted them to taste good and like not be austere or like I didn't want to use like, you know, I mean, alcohol really extracts the shit out of plants, but it also tastes so strong and people use the strongest stuff and I was just like I want this to taste I want this dysphoria blend to taste like rose petals you know like I want people to have that medicine too Mm -hmm. um so yeah I think I think a combination of things and also like I should say like like one of the ways that I got into herbalism was that I'm trained as a farmer and that I am still farming that's my other job so I have been farming for nine years and really got into plants through that lens, which is very different than the herbal world, but that I like have been intimate with plants for a long time and have like built relationships with them. And some of that was like knowing them as weeds and later learning them as like medicinal plants. But I feel like very close to the earth in a lot of ways. I spend a lot of time like with my hands literally in the earth. And so I think that maybe there's something really grounding that I hope comes through in the medicine. And this year I'm trying to grow as much as I can of the plants that I use myself at the farm. And so I think that will give it like an extra grounding feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about you as a farmer? Yeah. You are, where are you farming? (laughs) Right now I'm farming in Bedford, New York which is about 40 miles north of the city. Uh-huh. In the last five years, I was farming in the city in Brooklyn and uh, Queens. Oh, wow. Okay. What brought you to that, to farming, learning about it? Yeah, I was brought to farming by, I went to college in Vermont, and I went to um, a college that was in the most agriculturally dense region of all of Vermont, and um was really depressed at school and was I had I had come to school for environmental studies actually but I really didn't understand it from this side that I 
uh, I'm on now. I was more of like a policy, you know, I was kind of like, learn about policy. I want to learn about law and like changing environmental systems. And I, it was just, I like became super depressed based on, because of like the social environment at my school amongst other things and found um, farming as a refuge and a place to um, literally get off campus, but also to like, I think I was just really drawn to it in terms of like connecting to something grounding. And um, once I started, I just never stopped because I think I felt like really called to this purpose of cultivating and supporting life and caring for it um, and like tending to a piece of land and caring for it and like how the land cares for me. Um, and I really, I was production farming for years, which I sort of quickly learned was not right for me. I was production farming in like a food justice context. And in that world, there's a lot of austerity as well around like, you know, growing food is the most authentic thing to do and growing the most of it is the best. And there wasn't a lot of room for medicinal plants, you know, all plants are medicinal, but seeing plant, growing plants that are specifically medicinal and like not really thinking about how you need to like feed all parts of people. But I burnt out super quickly, which is like, you know, story of our lives in sort of like so many of us who were like activists and community organizers and like who really burnt out on a culture of like demanding so much labor for so little pay. Um, People are being extremely overworked and expected to do it out of love, like that kind of culture. And I was doing a lot of that around like food justice work really like hustling to grow so, so much food on so little land. And I took a break from it the year that my my mom was dying so I could spend time with her. And then when I came back into it, I was like, I just can't do that again. I need a different way. I need, I really was craving like being connected to an actual, like in the ground, in the ground beds, not raised beds on concrete, Mm -hmm. um, which can be so wonderful too. But I was just like, I need like an ecosystem and I need to be encountering wildness. And so I took this farm job that's in Bedford and it's been super wonderful and I'm getting, I have a lot of like freedom to grow and I am excited about growing and I'm at this like really amazing learning edge with myself because though I've been farming for so long, I really hadn't experimented much with growing medicinal plants that are really wild. Like their nature is really different than the hyper domesticated food crops that um, that I had been growing for so many years and a lot of them need to be like scarified or frozen or you know like cut with a knife or rubbed between sandpaper or like put under a heat mat like there's all these different special preparations and I have like loving it because I'm I'm being really like you know like sort of like topped by these medicinal plants that are like this is what you're going to do if you want me to grow for you and you want to like use medicine and I'm like okay like I'm also failing and like things aren't germinating and some things aren't some things I put in the freezer for a month and then they decide to germinate and I'm like totally you know at the whim of what the plants want to do which is just very different than like you know the hyper-colonial method of farming of like controlling the land or putting everything in rows or like you know everything growing at the way that you expect it to like a lot of it is really unexpected for me now and I'm, I'm just like totally in love with it again. So hmm. I love hearing about the way that that kind of evolved for you. I guess, you know, when I thought about 
you as a farmer, the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, what is it like as a, a kind of a queer, non-binary person farming? Like that kind of how and and sort of how what the story you just told and the evolution of it really feels very I don't know, like there's something about like your queer sensibility kind of coming through in terms of how you are describing your relationship to the land and um, into the plants. Um, but yeah, how, is there is there more to say about that, about kind of both from an, like an identity standpoint, but also just in terms of how you felt um, having that, like living in a city, but also having really a strong relationship to um, plants and the earth and the ground? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. One of the first farms that I ever worked on was a rural farm in Vermont, and I I spent a full season there. And I remember waking up one day and being like, I need to get out of here because I was the only like queer and non-binary person. I was the only queer and or trans person that I knew for miles And I remember it was idyllic. It was like this gorgeous farm. They were like, you know, there were sheep, there were cows. It was like so beautiful. And I just was like, this is like this haven that's actually not for me. And like, I don't have the community that I need here and I need to leave. And I left and went to New Orleans and farmed there for a season, like straight from that experience. And that was sort of like my trajectory into urban farming, I think, because I was like, I... I need to be around a lot of queer and trans people and urban environments are where we tend to gather because of all the reasons. Um, And yeah, I do feel, I think I feel pulled. Like, I think I feel like there are a ton of queer and trans farmers in New York. I also have this desire to be really deeply connected to land and tending to land. Um, It's land is so fraught in New York city, especially right now with like de Blasio and real estate development and gentrification and all of, um, all of that feels super heightened. I also like don't necessarily want to be taking up space in the city in that particular way. And yeah, I mean, there's like, there's so many queer and trans farmers all over, all over the place. And I do feel like a craving to be connected to more and there are like projects that are popping up left and right um, that are really focused on that. But I think there is something about it that sort of like inherently goes together because plants are so queer and so weird and wonderful. And like the binaries that have been forced onto us are like are the same ones that have been forced onto the natural world. But they're like always defying it just like we are. So mm. That's cool. Will you, can you tell us about a plant that you feel like defies sort of our, you know, kind of conventional expectations of it or even yours who it's like surprised you in some ways? I mean, there's so many plants like that have all reproductive parts, you know, like the zucchini plant has all of the reproductive parts that it would need to make a new zucchini plant on one plant. Right. And so like, and people, and like botanists love to like, like gender plants and like reproduce the binary. And I like really refuse to do that because I'm like, we don't actually need to, we don't need to do that. Like this plant is already sort of refusing the binary by existing. Why? You know, but that's just like one really easy example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's Mm -hmm. millions, like there's no, there's so little, there's so, there's actually like so little 
binary inherent in the natural world. And like, it takes a lot of work to unlearn that, it, like even or especially for me as a non-binary person. But yeah, I feel like I'm, I feel like it's like really, really healing for me to be around plants and not be experiencing like the violence of the gender binary and like the world of projections around gender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there more, I sensed that maybe, you know, earlier in our conversation, there may have been and there, if, if not, it's okay, but you know, there may be more that you wanted to sort of talk about or say a, a, about the, the way in which the herbal, the world of herbs and, you know, is so maybe heteronormative, fixated on, like, there's a lot of white privilege and, like, is there anything else, basically, that you want to say about that? Because I know that there are... Well, one of the things that's been super alienating to me about the herbal world, and there there have been many moments where I've been like, I don't know if this is the right place for me, is, like, yeah, just biological essentialism and what I experience is like turfy, you know, trans misogyny and biological essentialism happening together in a lot of the herbal world. And I think that overlaps really deeply with white supremacy and cultural appropriation. And a lot of those things seem to be happening at the same time. Like, especially by like what I, like what I'm witnessing is like white cis women, some of whom are queer, some of whom are not you know, sort of like finding their power through womanhood, but really unfortunately equating that with biology and also appropriating women of color and their cultures in the process of like trying to become empowered or something like that. Like, I don't really know what they're doing. This is like my guess. And like, is this what y'all are doing? And there's been a lot of pushback against people calling this out because I think people are like, hey, like, don't tell me that I shouldn't be talking about my vagina or my yoni or whatever. Like, that's me encountering my body. You know, and it's like, yeah, like you, there are so many ways to celebrate your body without saying that, like, that's what it means to be a woman. Like, you can do that and not the other, you know, and like, I think people have a lot of resistance to that. Um, And also in the same way, like, people have been really resistant to being called out around cultural appropriation. But I just really want an herbal world and a healing world in general in which we are like supporting self-determination and collective indeterminacy around like gender and everything else. And like, I want, I want like an herbal world and a healing world that is like really lifting up like sex workers, sluts, disabled people, um, like mad and chronically sick people, queer and trans people, and like centering the most marginalized people among us and being like, this is who, this is who I want to make medicine for. Or like, this is who I want being lifted up in my space. And like black and indigenous people and people of color and like, there are also healers at like all of these intersections, you know, and like those people, like their voices get pushed into quiet spaces a lot of the time 
because there's these other really loud ones that are like being super turfy and like horrible, you know? And I'm like, really, I'm really excited about what I do see happening, which is like a culture shift in the healing world that is like making space for those voices. Um, and I also like want to be really like loud myself with like who my medicine is for and who it's not for, you know? <laughs> and I'm like totally good with that. Like I don't, and also like, yeah, I mean, I've posted stuff before on my Instagram being like, you know, I don't want to be a part of these like turfy spaces that are talking about like, that are like only talking, people are only talking about their periods and like what that means to them and only talking about like yoni steaming and whatever. Like, I don't want to be part of that and I'll lose like a bunch of followers. And I'm like, goodbye. You know, like that's, I'm like, great. I'm so glad that we figured out that we are not for each other because it was going to happen sooner or later. Um, and there's a lot of herbalists for you to find. So, yeah, that's been a big and continuing to continues to be a really helpful stance for me to also take in, in my work in my own way, but it's, I wonder how, I guess one of the maybe questions I have is how do you feel like, do you have anxiety about what that might mean in terms of your livelihood or being able to support yourself? Or, you know, if you are, it's just that intersection of kind of like business, I'm, I'm running a business and I'm, you know, doing something I deeply care about. Um, and I care about it in this way and in this way, it's not for everyone. And I like that and I prefer it to be that way. Or, you know what I mean? Like, how do you, how are you working through that right now? It sounds like things have really, um, in terms of your business have kind of caught you off guard a little bit and you're, you're still figuring it all out. I mean, we all are, but I'm just curious what you think of that. Yeah, I, I never created 69 to be like a money-making scheme. So I don't feel attached to that at all. Like I feel like if, I feel really strongly that if my sales sort of dropped off and folks were like not really buying it anymore and it seemed like the project was saying I'm kind of done, I would, I would be like, okay. And I don't think I would have a lot of hard feelings about that. Like, I actually feel like the project very early on took on its own life and was like, I am going to be in service and I'm going to be doing something meeting people's needs. And like, I've been like, okay, okay, I'm following your lead. And, um, and it's been just like very steady, like almost perfectly steady, which is kind of amazing. And I feel so grateful. And also, like, I feel like it works perfectly at the pace that it needs to be going at. Like, I get just enough orders every week. Like, it's not overwhelming. I can keep up with it. And I can, like, get people's medicine out to them quickly. And it just, like, works really well. But I have no issue. Like, I'm going to be super, like, I'm going to keep showing up for my values. And if people... I'm not worried at all about like people dropping off because of that. I feel like if anything, it will, it will bring in the people who are like, right, who I want right with me. And so, yeah, I don't feel like, I feel, I feel like, I, yeah, I don't feel attached to the longevity of the project. Like I'm like, it's got its own thing. And if it ends, I'll do something else. And like so much medicine will have gotten out there to people. And I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really, it's very inspiring. And I'm sure that some of the people listening will really appreciate just even having that idea or kind of hearing that that is something that is possible. Like the idea of being very discerning, whether it's in like the world of, you know, quote unquote business or, you know, whatever you having your own business or not, you know, just that being discerning, putting yourself out there in the way that you like in alignment with your values can be so powerful. And also there, there, you're speaking to kind of a level of detachment around the outcome in terms of like what you're trying to achieve, you know, and it almost makes me think about, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, how we were talking about like things being fixed or not being fixed, or, you know, it's like not so overdetermined for you, I guess. It seems like you're comfortable in that space of embracing the uncertainty or embracing like, what are these plants trying to communicate to me as I'm learning how to grow them, you know, or learning to, it's just, it's very inspiring to hear that. Yeah, I also should say, like, I think I speak, I speak, like, with some degree of privilege around being able to walk away from it if I need to. And so, like, there are definitely folks I know who, like, that's their main livelihood. You know, it's like I have this other job. I work at the farm. That's definitely a financial cushion. And, like, I get it that there are people who, like, need to be appealing more to the mainstream or appealing more to, like, those in power because of their position. And I also would say like in general, I feel like when people stick to their values, like they do, I feel like we do call in like the people who we want to be with. And I also feel like there's a need for that. Like I, I think that people are really hungry for others, you know, showing up for what they believe in. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. Yes. Yeah. yeah it is hard. So I guess, you know, before we talk a little bit about how people can find you and everything, I I do have one last question, which is, you know, if there's a younger version of you that may need to hear, may have needed to hear something, or if you could kind of convey something, a message to a younger part of you, what might it have been? I think I would say something that I still say to myself all the time which is like you don't have to be small for anyone else yeah <laughs> I, I just um posted like a picture of motherwort online which is this amazing plant whose latin name means lion-hearted mm. and I was feeling like I really needed that today of like be lion-hearted you know like you don't have to be small you can be lion-hearted and mm. Motherward in my in my blend right now so I think I would say that I love that that's really cool well thank you so where can people find you um we talked a lot about 69 herbs but where can people find that and find out more about you yeah people can find 69 herbs mostly on instagram my handle is 69 herbs and my website is on there but that's 69 herbs on big cartel mm-hmm. cool and i'm here in new york so if anyone ever wants to come by my studio and check out the process i'm always down for that too cool that's really cool so thank you so much jade i really appreciate it thanks for having me yeah